The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. A few weeks ago, I shared with you about what happened at Jericho, the battle of Jericho in the life of Joshua. And the meditation just grew in my heart that week and even beyond on the manna that came from heaven because there's so much to it. It's just, and it, it actually affected my heart. Like I found that even just thinking about manna and, and the people of the wilderness accepting it and taking it in affected my prayers and my heart even as I approach God. Today I want to talk more about that manna and just encourage you even in the pursuit of manna, if you will. But I'd like to tell you a story. Often preachers start with a good joke. I like a good story. And I have a minor in art history at university. I, I studied a lot of art history. I love art history. But um, there's a painting I'm going to show you by a famous lady named Mary Cassatt. Now, she sounds French, but she's actually one of the crown jewels of America, okay? Um, she is one of the three women who actually made it into the Impressionist movement. And she was friends with Degas and Monet and Manet. Hopefully, you've heard some of those names. If not, your art teachers failed you. Um, but these are the Impressionists. I mean, she was up there with, with the best. And her artwork is around the world in some of the greatest museums out there. Hopefully you've seen this picture too. And if not, you can check it out on Google later. Her name is Mary Cassatt. But fascinating thing is she had a cleaning lady in her house, a lady by the name that we know now today called, and I'm going to butcher it in French, Mathilde Vallée. Okay? And Mathilde one day looked in the wastebasket by Mary Cassatt's desk and found these drawings. She said, how can you throw these away, she said to herself. So, being the cleaning lady, and knowing that the house was just filled with one spinster, which is a word we don't like to use in the US, spinster sounds wrong, but she never married, Matilde would take these drawings and she hid them. She took drawing after drawing and stuck them in, in boxes and stuck them in, in little closets. And then one day, Mary Cassatt stumbled upon them. And she said, what are these doing, Matilde? These are junk. These are rubbish. These are garbage. Why are you keeping these rubbish drawings? They're doodles and unfinished paintings. And somehow, with the wisdom of a cleaning lady, she conveyed to Mary Cassatt that what she was not placing any value on actually had a great deal of value. I don't know if she said, they're beautiful and I like them, or these are going to tell the history of your development as an artist. By throwing these away, nobody's going to know, you know the different stages that you grew up artistically. So Mary Cassatt apparently never gave her uh, consent to this, but she never argued. And she knew that little Matilde was running around taking her drawings out of the garbage can. And this collection grew and grew and grew and grew to the great appreciation of art historians today. But what she didn't know was happening as she was going around collecting these things that were rubbish, plain, ordinary, not her best works, is that when Mary Cassatt passed away, it was announced in the will that all the drawings held up in the upper loft and in the closets were the possession of Matilde Vallée. 
Now, some of those pictures today, I've checked it out, Christie's, one sold for about $50,000, one little unfinished painting. Another little sketch that's really nothing, about $6,000. So this woman had box loads and box loads. And if you go online and check out her name and check out Mary Cassatt, there's a whole wealth of these drawings that came into her possession. And through her collecting and going around, she became a wealthy woman. She became blessed beyond, beyond what she ever anticipated. Now, what does this have to do with manna? Big leap here for you, but it's not. In Exodus 16, we see that the Lord comes to a people that have been in bondage and slavery. They do not know what it means to have a benevolent ruler over them. They do not know the concept of somebody taking care of them that's greater than them. All they know is that the ruler they had, the Pharaoh, they had to protect themselves from him and his uh, workers. All they knew is they had to toil and work and strive constantly to make ends meet, to bring food on the table. And the requirement continued and continued. And so they had no trust, no ability within them to trust a ruler above them would take care of them. And then God strolls in the scene. And this is a whole new story. Some of them do not know how to process it or handle it. But here comes the Lord God Almighty. The one who's known among them is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The one of their fathers. And he gives them in the desert. He lets them go through the Red Sea. They see many miracles in Egypt. And here they are grumbling and complaining that they, they want to go back in Egypt where they had more than enough meat and food. And God in his kindness forgives them for the grumbling. And he says in Exodus 16, is a long passage, so bear with me. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. And this is key part of the purpose, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Verse 17. The Israelites did as they were told. That's good. <laughs> they did something right here. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by omer, by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Okay, now we're going downhill again. Some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. 
but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. Verse 23, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink and get, or get maggots. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you, will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? As you think, or as I have thought over manna, it's impressed upon me again how divine this was. Here this group of former slaves didn't have to sow. They didn't have to break up fallow ground. They didn't have to fertilize. They didn't have to water. They didn't have to chase away bugs. They didn't have to use any pesticides. All they had to do was wake up in the morning and bow. All they had to do was bow to the earth and pick up the provision for the day. That's all they had to do. That's all God required of them. That was their role. That was their part. And what's amazing about this is that for five days of the week, they picked up just enough for themselves. Every day. Then on the sixth day, they had to pick up twice as much. Then on the seventh, nothing. Think about this. Nothing in the natural world follows a six-day cycle and then a day of rest. There's nothing you can think of. Now, the sun rises every, every morning, gets warm in some places of the earth, and then sets every night. There's a cycle there. We do that. But thank God the sun comes up on the seventh day. Can you imagine every seventh day the sun doesn't come up? That would be a break from the normal order of things. There's other things, like seasonal routines. We know winter, spring, summer, fall. Yes, we did miss one of those this year, but they usually follow that order. There's a system, there's a, a routine in that. There's even a plant, just another nugget of history, or not history, but uh, my interest in biology and all that kind of stuff, botany. There's a plant called the century plant. It's, a, it's the American agave, and it only flowers every 10 to 25 years. It's this huge desert-like cactus. It looks like an aloe, but it only sends it up like 10 to 25 years, depending. The U.S. has also been plagued by another routine. You've probably heard of the cicada crisis. There are cicadas in different varieties of them. There are a little grub that climbs down on the ground, and it comes up. It doesn't do any real harm, but it makes a lot of noise. And this past year was the 14th year cycle. There's a whole group of them that come up every 14 years, and that's it. And then they're gone. Isn't that fascinating? I find that interesting. But 
Sorry if I bored you at that point, but, but the six-day cycle for manna is phenomenal. You had to think that these people were scratching their heads. Where is it today? Why is it not here? And then, those who are still being a little rebellious collect some of it on, say, Wednesday. I don't want to work tomorrow. I'm going to just store up some extra for me. And every time they do it, this reeking bad smell happens, and it's full of maggots. But when they do it on Saturday, it doesn't happen. This is a break from the order of things. Now, this level of obedience seems, to God, seems inconsequential. Nobody died from picking extra manna. Um, nobody died from not picking extra manna on the Sabbath. They got hungry for a day. They had to go without. But this manna speaks to us today of the provision of God for us. Just like Mathilde Vallée went and saw Mary Cassatt's drawings that were considered rubbish and not valuable. She collected them. That's all the work she had to do. She didn't have to draw. She didn't have to go to school. She didn't have to train herself. All she did is collect them. She had a very small role in that. And yet by storing them, taking them, collecting them from the rubbish, it opened up the door of blessing for her. We have manna today, and it's maybe difficult. We have to bow down to reach it. We have to bow down our hearts sometimes. We have to take a break from our schedule and our busyness. And I'm not saying it's easy. I fight sometimes too. But it's our provision. And it's not work, really. When you consider all the things involved in producing our own food, all the slaves had to do is bow to the earth and pick up their manna. So what does this speak to us today? One, the bowing of our hearts in humility. Just a humility of it, the, the dependence upon God. Without you, God, I have nothing. I have nothing. They're the words of Jesus. Even Jesus said of himself, I have nothing apart from the Father. His words I speak, his actions I do. Even the authority I carry comes from him. And he's given me authority to lay down my life or to pick it up again. Everything. I have nothing without him. As I said earlier, it also speaks to the slaves and to us today that there is a God in heaven who reigns and rules above the natural order. He set up the natural order. He can violate it without violating natural order. Because he can do it. He's the one who set it up. It's his, it's his game, right? He can switch the rules if he wants to. And here, they see on the sixth day, or on the seventh day, excuse me, no man on the ground. Day after day, or week after week, I should say, the same pattern. How consistent. He is God. They would know that he is the Lord. And then the third thing it would do, I think, to their hearts is help them understand the kindness and provision of God for them. I don't have to dig for this. I don't have to uh, plant seed for this. I don't have to do much work. All I have to do is humble myself and receive. And it's the doorway to the promises that he's given us. Because this obedience of day after day, of daily going to him, in maybe inconsequential ways, of obeying him when he speaks to your heart in small ways leads to the door of blessing. Now, some of you have heard of the great Reese Howells. 
How many people? Just raise a hand. How many have seen the great? A Welshman. Is there any Welshman in the house? Any Welsh women? No? Well, Reese Howells was a, was a Welshman, and he was praying one day, and he said, Lord, why can't I sense your spirit like I do when I walk through the hills of, of Wales? When I take my strolls up to the mountains and I look over, why don't I sense your spirit like I do then when I walk through town and I go to meetings and things? And the Lord spoke to his heart in inconsequential things, seemingly. Nobody would die from it. Nobody would get sick from it. But it was going to be an embarrassment culturally. The Lord spoke to his heart. When you go to town, when you go around, don't put your hat on. Now, that doesn't sound like much to us, but a man without his hat in Reese Howell's days was an embarrassment to the family. His mother sometimes tried to slip it on him when he went out of the house. Oh, please wear your hat. But by doing this, he entered into a life of deeper fellowship with God. He would walk around town covered in the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a story of a man who showed up in, in Wales and said, where's the man with the Holy Spirit? And the man said, oh, you mean Reese Howell's. That's how much his life was transformed, by this seemingly inconsequential act of obedience. But it was humbling for him, because he couldn't wear his hat, and it was expected of him as a man in culture at that time. James 4, verse 6 says, but he gives, more he gives us more grace. That is why, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. How many of us and I'm included in this, try to come up with our own way to get close to God. If we deny the things that God has given us, the manna, which I'll get to in a minute, we can often find our hearts in decline. We'll go from book to book. We'll go from whatever. We'll, go, we'll hop around to find ourselves feeling good. We'll look outside into the world for peace or happiness. We'll look in lots of places. We'll find ourselves declining in our faith. Confusion sets in. And confusion comes into our hearts sometimes. We don't even think, oh, I've got distant from God. I'm not in obedience. We don't even, that's not even a red flag to us. Oh, I'm confused. Oh, I don't know about this. Oh, I'm worried. Oh, I'm anxious. Red flag. All these things are red flags to us. We need to bow and receive the manna God gives us from heaven. When we don't take the manna, we do start developing a mentality of toil, suffering, and work. We start doing work to gain his acceptance. We get what many people call an orphan spirit. We operate like there is no benevolent ruler. There's no benevolent father. We begin to get that toil and slave mentality that we've got to work for it. We've got to do it. We've got to make it happen. We've got to store up for the next day. We've got to plan ahead. We've got to do this and that. And we get all convoluted because we're not simply humbling ourselves, and knowing that our God has everything we need. In Acts 2.42, it talks of this manna. And these are things you've all heard before. Okay? Now let me jump back for a minute. Mary Cassatt thought all those drawings were rubbish. They're plain and ordinary things. Ah, anybody can scribble like me. But they were valuable. Somebody saw the value in them. They kept them, and it opened up the door to the promises or the blessings in her time. The same is true for us today. 
If we take these things that seem so common, so ordinary, so run-of-the-mill, so difficult sometimes, we take them, we say, this is our pathway to blessing. This is our pathway to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. This is the pathway to the new life he promises. This is the pathway. This is our inheritance. So Acts chapter 2, verses 4, 42. The believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. The natural response of the early church was to these things. In Ephesians 5, verse 18 through 20 says, And be filled with the Spirit, speaking to another, another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostles' teaching. That is what's recorded in the New Testament and, the, and in the Scriptures. That is essentially what it is today. The Word of God. And I know you anticipated that, didn't you? People always talk about manna being the Word of God. It, I think it's more than that. Secondly, fellowship. I want to ask you, we agree with fellowship. We like to have tea and coffee after service and talk. Can I ask, when's the last time you had an extended time with somebody from the church or another believer outside the church? When's the last time you shared a meal with them or went to a park and sat down and had a conversation? This is part of your manna. It's the life of God in another believer flowing into us and us flowing into them. Ephesians is very clear that you're supposed to sing and share hymns and psalms with one another. It's supposed to be part of our life. On a side note, I wasn't going to say this, but I had the pleasure of being in a community of Brazilians in Florida, and I loved their culture. They love to get together. They do things that uh, one guy every Friday would cook up picanha, Okay? If there's a Brazilian in the house, they know picanha. It's a great steak covered in like garlic and uh, salt, rock salt. It's delicious. God blessed me with being part of this group. And, and they, but this gentleman, when he was back in Brazil, every Friday, they'd get a couple bottles of wine, they'd get a grill, they'd have, with his colleagues at work. I know that's not common here. You don't really meet with your colleagues, do you? That's kind of a violation of, of the, you know, the order. But part of your life as a Christian, part of the manna, is getting together with people, having a cup of coffee, or more than a cup of coffee, because the next one is breaking of bread together. Okay? Before I offend you, sometimes we have to humble ourselves and bow down to receive that manna. Maybe you say, oh, I'm a private person. Don't be. Don't be. You're cutting off one of the one of the passageways of blessing to your heart and soul. Prayer. This is another form of manna. The quiet stillness of God meeting in the morning. Now sometimes it's like a rushing wave, but not often. I remember one time I was praying in my house. Just a day. And I knew he came in the room. And I crouched down on the floor because this stranger was in my house. And I was filled with wonder and awe because his presence was so heavy. I was completely just like a little kid, curious and wondered, like, who are you? And it was beautiful at the same time. I was a manna to my soul to come in contact with this benevolent ruler 
Oh, is life to my soul. I'll never forget crouching down by the couch in my room, wondering, curious, oh, in awe of him. But this is a daily thing. It doesn't come like that all the time. There are seasons where he comes. But we have to bow down and take it how it comes. Now, some of you have believed the lie, well, I can't pray, I don't like prayer. You do like prayer. Tell yourself, I do like prayer. Start transforming your mind. I do like prayer. Make yourself like prayer. It is your communication line with God. It is the manna from heaven. He speaks to your heart just like he did to Reese House. Hey, don't wear your hat. You'll come in deeper fellowship with me. It is life. And it's got so many different forms. It's got the loud form where you press in. It's got the quiet one that Jonathan referred to the other day about surrendering our hearts to God. It's even got sharing your hobby with him. Some of you have hobbies. Maybe you like to paint. Maybe you like to... Um, Fix engines, maybe you like to ride motorcycles. Invite God into these things. Make it a time of prayer. We're supposed to pray without ceasing. How can you do that if you don't start inviting him into your day? It's life. Take a walk with him. I know Jonathan says some of that stuff's a little dodgy, but um, right, wasn't that, was that the word you used last week? Just kidding. Um, but no, it's life. It is life to have him with you all the time and to be aware of his presence. And last of all, from Ephesians, worship and singing. I have a pet peeve a bit. I often think if persecution were to come upon the church and we were broken up much like we were in COVID and the internet went down, electricity was spotty, how many of us would worship? Gotta get that song out. Gotta play it. This is like our only lifeline to worship for some of us. I think it's important that we cultivate a, a series of songs that we can sing a cappella by ourselves at home. Maybe just a chorus of the songs, because some of the songs we sing are, are too difficult to sing alone. They're just, but a chorus. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Just, just hymns we can give to God and speak out. Now that, the doxology is one song that I absolutely love because there's a baseball player in the United States who was on Johnny Carson one night. And Johnny Carson said to him, hey, we hear that you sing when you're um, getting ready to pitch. And the guy said, no, 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 I'm not going to sing. And Johnny Carson, for those of you old enough to remember Johnny Carson, Preston said, come on, let's sing. And you know how that goes. You kind of press in. We want to hear you sing. Audience, don't you want to hear him sing? And the guy said, no, 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 no. So he finally gets up to the mic after the pressure. And he gets up and he says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And when he gets done with the song, Johnny Carson has his head down a little bit. I'm, I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that. Because something entered the room. We need to be able to touch God with songs in our heart that we can sing alone. Not just with our, with our iPads and our, our phones. We just need to be able to connect him in songs. Develop, cultivate a list of songs you can go to. I could sing more, but I want to still work here. <laughs> um, they don't have to sound good. So... 
Let me just end with saying the work that God requires us to do is simply to humble ourselves, to bow down and pick up what He gives us. It's really not work compared to what it could be. Pick it up. Let it come to you. Take it day by day. Let Him work in your life in these inconsequential acts of obedience. Let the manna from heaven strengthen you. And this will open up the door to the promises and blessings that you long desire, that you've heard of but seem so far away. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.